a factual data creation facility production. Welcome to the Straight From The Desk podcast, a podcast where I discuss but three things. Two are topical, while the last can be considered as flexible. So sit back and enjoy. If you like what you hear, click on that donation link, which can be found within the show notes. Any donation will be appreciated. So let's get started. How you doing today? Before I get started, I have to apologize for last week's episode. As you can probably tell, I was sort of struggling getting the words out and I made some mistakes. The reason? Well, in my ongoing battle with hypertension, I've started drinking green tea. One of the side effects of doing so, well, at least for me, is an extreme case of a dry mouth, which no matter how much water I consumed, wouldn't go away. Lesson learned. No drinking green tea before recording podcast episodes. First, during my 25-year career with first the U.S. Customs Service and then Customs and Border Protection, I witnessed the blatant abuse by all sides of the H-1B temporary, and I emphasize temporary, workers' visa. This visa class was created to allow U.S. businesses to bring in temporary, I repeat, temporary, foreign workers to fill job vacancies that supposedly couldn't be filled by hiring U.S.-based workers. Businesses abused this visa class by bringing in foreign workers at a lower salary than would be normally paid to a native hiree, and the foreign recipient of the visa abused it by using the H-1B as a de facto immigration visa. Independent journalist Li Fang reported that despite the layoff of some 84,000 workers from the big tech firms, those same firms have brought in over 34,000 of these supposedly temporary foreign workers so far this year, and companies such as Google, Amazon, and Microsoft have written letters to Congress begging to be allowed even more foreign workers than they are allowed under law to hire. To make matters worse, some laid-off U.S. workers have reported that they were required to train their foreign replacements during the final days of employment with these companies. Mr. Fong erroneously terms these temporary foreign workers as indentured, but that's not the case. The H-1B visa holders abuse the system by first petitioning for their spouses to temporarily accompany them while they're here for the usual two to three year visa length using the H-2B visa. While here, the H-1B now with their H-2B spouse will start procreating and because the babies are born in this country, they are granted automatic citizenship, thus becoming what are known as anchor babies. They're called that because when the H-1B and H-2B visa holders' time is expiring, meaning a return to their home countries, they petition to have their status changed to permanent legal residency because they have roots in this country, i.e. their children. The refrain you hear from those in favor of these types of visas will say, so what, they work and pay taxes. Now, that's true of at least the H-1B visa holder and perhaps the H-2B visa holder. But here's where the fun begins. After being granted permanent legal residency in this country, a flurry of petitions for immigrant visas will be filed for both the H-1B and the H-2B visa holders' relatives. When these relatives make it here, they do the same, and before you know it, whole villages have been transplanted to the United States. This is what's termed chain migration. The problem with this is that though the petitioner signs an affidavit assuming financial responsibility for these new arrivals, this is not enforced, and people will wind up on social services such as welfare and food stamps. And yes, I've personally seen many examples of this abuse. One example which comes to mind is while reviewing one former H-1B petitioner's financial records 
processing one of these new arrivals. This particular petitioner, who had already previously petitioned for multiple people, was claiming a total income of $40,000 per year. Well, that's clearly not nearly enough to support the people he or she is bringing in here. The only winners here are the big companies at the expense of the U.S. worker and taxpayer. In my opinion, there should be a law which prohibits these corporations from bringing in these not-so-temporary workers if you are at the same time laying off U.S. workers. Next, if you believe you are residing in a country that has unbiased press, where the free flow of ideas and information are encouraged, I'd suggest you take another look. And I'm not just referring to the United States, because unfortunately, Europe seems to be in the same situation. This agenda-fueled style of activist journalism has seemingly become the norm. I'm talking about all sides of journalism here, not just the left-leaning outlets. Though the majority of news media the average citizen of the West is exposed to is either left-of-center or left-of-Stalin or Mao, I've pointed this situation out in previous episodes of this podcast. These days we have the Internet, which brings us social media platforms and independent journalists who can counter this onslaught with opposing or at least differing opinions. Well, to counter the rise of these... What the mainstream media and especially the various government administrations would consider resistance, they have developed methods of stifling these upstarts, some old, some new. First was the rise of the so-called fact-checkers who are mostly in the pockets of those same mainstream news organizations. Then it was censoring via the algorithm on social media platforms. These methods, though now exposed, have and are still very effective. The only platform that has remained somewhat untamed was, and for now, still is, podcasting. To try and clamp down on podcasting, first came the proverbial studies by government-funded think tanks and universities warning of the mis- and disinformation being propagated via podcasts. Even if the entities who did these studies weren't funded by the government, the studies themselves were. Pressure was asserted on the gatekeepers of podcasting, the indexes of RSS feeds, which are the de facto distributors of podcast episodes. Apple was the largest, with Google and Spotify following close behind. These gatekeepers were and are pressured to remove shows deemed dangerous by the government through their funded non-governmental organizations, the notorious NGOs I've spoken previously about, with virtually shutting down shows with the click of a mouse. Realizing this and how easy it was to accomplish, people like Adam Curry and others created Podcasting 2.0 and the Podcast Index. As long as the podcast RSS feed is valid, it will remain on the podcast index. While this development stifled some of the censorship methods employed, the powers that be started putting pressure on the advertisers to pull ads from podcasts deemed to be mis- and disinformation purveyors. Many podcasters rely on advertisers for support, so this had a devastating effect on them and their shows. However, this method is inefficient. So with the rise of artificial intelligence, a flurry of new, what amounts to censorship tools, have been recently announced. First, we had the Pentagon-funded organization NewsGuard, who I've covered in previous episodes, teaming up with the company Barometer AI to create BrandGuard, a product which promises to scan podcasts within minutes and determine if your company should be associated with it. Barometer AI is a shady company that was founded in 2018 by Unknown Venture Funding, and whose CEO's name is blurred out on the Crunchbase data file and is the only contact listed for the company. Well, if it smells like a spook enterprise, it most likely is one in my experience. Lately, Barometer AI has raised money from Hearst Lab, part of the Hearst Media Empire. 
Now we have Microsoft announcing Azure AI Content Safety, a one-stop censoring shop for platform moderators and advertisers that can understand and analyze multiple languages, contexts, and semantics. Azure AI Content Safety can also do the same for images and video. So for those podcasts that rely on advertising for their existence, things are about to get a bit tougher. But what about podcasts such as this one that don't rely on ads for monetization or just don't care about monetization at all? I figure they'll start going after the podcast hosting services, putting pressure on them to drop or edit the podcasts they host and distribute. As I've discussed before, this will create an overseas market of hosting services that are not beholden to the laws of the U.S. and other Western nations. Well, I suppose they can go after the financials then, as they have in the past, by pressuring banks and credit services to drop the podcast owner or host as a client, leaving them unable to pay for hosting. Well, the way around this is to use cash to purchase one of these rechargeable credit cards for making transactions. Now, do you see why the government and their elite lackeys want a central bank digital currency? I believe the example of the battle for censoring podcasts I have just given shows that it's all about one thing, and that's control. Finally, House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer subpoenaed an unclassified document from the Federal Bureau of Investigation regarding information of an agreement for policy decisions in exchange for money between the vice, well, then-Vice President Joe Biden and a foreign national. The due date for delivery to the committee was May 30th. The FBI has yet to comply. Mr. Comer has threatened to hold the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, in contempt, with charges being referred to the Department of Justice. The FBI has refused to produce the document, citing protection of a confidential informant. If charges are in fact referred, what do you think will happen? Well, nothing will happen. That's because the FBI and the DOJ, along with many if not all government organizations, have been politicized as well as weaponized, which all started when Obama was the president. This has resulted in these government entities feeling they can ignore Congress, especially if the requesting committees are investigating Democratic members or activities. We are an inch away from one-party rule, in my opinion. Unless we clean house of these deep state operatives, which, despite Trump being derided for pointing them out, have been proven to exist, especially over the last couple of years. We now have a two-tier justice system in this country, one for the Democrats and one for those against the Democrats. Just witness the zeal shown by these agencies while going after former President Trump, the January 6th rioters, Catholics, and non-democratic voting white people in general, in comparison to President Biden, Antifa, radical violent trans people, and hardened criminals, all of who are wrecking the nation's cities. To quote Ronald Reagan, the nine words you should most fear are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. You know, I truly fear for the future of this country. And still no manifesto from the child-murdering woman in Tennessee. Can I ask, what are they hiding? Well, that'll do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You can send comments, suggestions, or complaints to sftdpod23 at gmail.com. Take care. And hopefully this time I'll, I'll see you on Thursday. I'm working on it.